Wednesday morning again, and I hope you've had a good weekend. It is it's May the 2nd already. It's just unbelievable. Isn't it incredible? It's already May in 2021, zipping right along. It is so true that as you get older, time really does seem to go quicker. I'm not sure why that is, but it is true. So before we get started in wrapping up this series, strong series, powerful series, and very necessary series for the church, let me pray for our time. Father God, thank you for, again, allowing us to gather together and to, to hear your word, that the truth be taught and the truth be told, just as the church Christians need to hear it today, just as you spoke it to John a couple thousand years ago, and we've spoken to the church at Ephesus and all the other churches, because your message was to the church to get us to act more like the one on whom the church is built and based, and that's Christ Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. And we're going to look at his words, and I pray, God, your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to receive them and also instruct us as to what we need to do to be part of this solution, to be part of what it is you want us to do to lock arms with you in your mission and your ministry and not just things that we make up to do for you. Keep us from that, God. Keep us from that because it's so easy to fall into that. I thank you for that. Pray you bless our time in Christ and my prayer, amen. All right. I'm going to quickly review what we did the first two weeks, last two weeks, parts one and part two, why the Christian church in America is declining. And it is, and there's no question about that. We can look at the statistics that support all that. In part one, we talked about the fact that the Christians in the church need to regain a sense of urgency. We've lost a sense of urgency around three things, and I've talked about in fact, we've lost our sense of urgency for the imminent return of Christ, that Jesus is coming. And I shared a number of verses where he himself said that. He was talking to his disciples in Matthew 24, and he said, No one knows the hour of the day that I'm coming back. Not even I know that, only the Father. And when the time comes, he says, Go, then Christ returns. But we don't know that. But we do know that in Revelation 3 and, and a couple of verse, different verses, he said, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Now, because of those words, the disciples and the people around him at that time thought, well, great, he's going to ascend into heaven. He'll be right back. He's just going to wait for a short while. He'll be right back. So throughout church history, people have been waiting on this return expectantly, and it's been a couple of thousand years, and people have just kind of lost, well, I don't think interest is the right word, but we've lost our sense of urgency that could be any time. And when we live with a sense of urgency, we all know that regardless of what that sense of urgency is about, we're more, our, our senses are more heightened and aware, and we're trying to do whatever we need to do to prepare for that. And that's what we need to do as Christians in the church, is to be preparing to do what? To have that, a, a greater sense of urgency for the lost, because that was his message and his mission. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance. That's why he came. That's the only reason he came. And we talked about how that we need to have that to recapture that greater sense of sharing the truth of the gospel with Christ, <laughs> sharing the truth of the gospel of Christ with the lost. And we've sort of lost our burden there. I I'm thankful that over the last couple of years, as we've begun the evangelistic side of this ministry, uh, that, and, and quite frankly, it was done because the Holy Spirit had just continue, uh, just began to burden me more and more about my own um, shortcomings here in terms of having that burden for the lost. And so it's burned in my spirit now, and that's why I teach with such passion and fervor about 
witnessing to the lost and calling the lost and showing them the way uh, to life through Christ. And so uh, we just need to have a greater urgency of that in the church, in our, in our lives as Christians. And then the third one of that was to follow on with these was simply this. We need to be working God's plan and not ours. Jesus gave us the plan in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. And then again in Acts 1, 8, before he ascended into heaven, he basically said the same thing. Listen, go and tell the world. Go and make disciples. Go teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've commanded you. All these commands, all these words. I didn't come to hear myself talk. I didn't come to, to do miracles and get everybody's attention. I came to get their attention to tell them that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's his message. His mission was to reach the lost. He said the healthy don't need a doctor, just those who are sick. Now, he knew that everyone needed him, but he was trying to, he's speaking that to the Pharisees who thought they were just fine and they were religious and they were trying to obey the law and that made them justified, which we know it did not. So we need to understand that that urgency for his mission, not ours, but his, to go and teach and baptize and preach and disciple, make disciples. And he said in Acts 1.8, I'm going to send you the power to do that. That when I leave, since I send, pretty soon after that, and we know at Pentecost, they're all gathered together, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and it was power that's never left us. And if you're born again in Christ, we have Holy Spirit. And we have the power, his power, because we can't do these things. We're powerless to do these things and carry out his mission. We can't do it. And if we operate in the power of the flesh, even though it's well-intended, well-meaning, we'll burn out. Burnout happens because we're doing it in the flesh. We cannot burn out in the power of the spirit. Eventually, even the Energizer Bunny runs out of battery and comes to a stop. We don't work like that. If you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't burn out. He won't allow you to burn out if we stay close and plugged in because he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. So that was part one and part two. We talked about what Jesus said in Revelation chapter two. I'll reread that for you here. In Revelation two. And again, the backdrop is that Jesus, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been sent there as a prisoner. And he has this vision, he has this vision, and he's, Jesus is speaking to him, and he's he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to take these messages out to these seven churches. And the very first one we talked about last week was Ephesus. And I gave you a lot of background and history on Ephesus, the city, and how incredibly powerful it was. Just a, It was a seaport. It was a commercial thriving place it was a big deal major city you know kind of like a new york or a tokyo or something in that world ephesus was a big deal big city and the church was there and it was a very strong church at least in part and we're going to see that and so what jesus did in speaking to john was he gave them a a commendation of what they've been doing well and then a condemnation of what you're not doing well what you need to fix and so the first part of that verse when he said um I know your deeds, he's talking to, to John to tell the church at Ephesus, I know your deeds and toil and perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men. That's great. You put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. That's good. We're testing false prophets. Uh, and you found them to be false and you have persevered and endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, 
Um, he was in house prison in Rome, and he was able to write a number of letters, four letters, to the churches that he had planted. And in the book of Ephesians is that book or that letter that he wrote to that church. And in Ephesians 1.15, he echoes what the angel, what Jesus has said about the church of Ephesus here in, in 1.15, Ephesians 1.15, he said this. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, that's number one, the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Those are two things. Okay. We need those are really important because as we move on through the passage, we're going to come back to that. So just hold on to that verse. Faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and you've left and, and your love for all the saints. When he was writing to Timothy, let me back up a second. Remember, I told you that Paul actually, after that church was founded, he pastored that church for two to three years. And when he left, Timothy, his mentee, if you will, the, the young disciple under him who was a young pastor, he stayed on and pastored for about another 18 months. So this church had great biblical teaching. Well, there wasn't any Bible per se, but had great Christian teaching. You know, it was founded by Priscilla and Aquila, I would think, and then the Apostle Paul, and then Timothy. So it should have been really, really strong and grounded. And we see here that they've been doing a lot of things well, and, and to some extent they were. But what began to happen was this, and he wrote Timothy warning him. He said, look, I urge you to remain on in Ephesus, which he did, to, to do what? Instruct people not to teach strange, doc, strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to speculations, rather than advance the plan of God, which is by faith. Same thing. He's saying, look, the, the plan of God is to advance the gospel by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Not to start speculating, teaching weird doctrines that people were making up. Remember, these were all pagans. It was a pagan world that they lived in. It was not a Christian world at all. There was no Bible belt, right? There was no Bible. They simply had, you know, the, the law. Well, in the Jews, they had the, the law, the Torah, and then scrolls of some of the prophets. And, you know, the Bible wasn't put together until, you know, sometime in the third, fourth century A.D. Now, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, all those came together sooner. But again, people didn't have access to that. And and these were pagans. You know, Ephesus was in Asia Minor, which is Turkey. Most of the churches Paul planted across in Greece, that was the Greeks, they all had their own gods. And so these are very pagan places with their own gods. And so this was really serious church planting among people who really needed Christ. It was true missionary work because these were people who did not know anything. All they knew was their own pagan gods. And so it was very easy for those new converts to hear someone that sounded smart or sounded wise like the Greeks and say, well, that guy sounds pretty smart. Maybe he's right. And so they start doubting. And what happened was these false teachers and false prophets were infiltrating the church and beginning to stir things up. And that's why Paul wrote Timothy and said, look, I'm instructing, I'm warning you about these people. Okay? And that's what he told him here in First Timothy, the passage I just read. It's some of them strayed from things that turned aside to fruitless discussion. Some want to be teachers, even though they don't understand what they're saying or the matters about which they speak, and they do it with great confidence. We talked about that last week, how they're bold and, and they just speak confidently, but what they're saying is nonsense. We have that going on today in some churches and some preachers. You listen to them. They sound great. They're very entertaining. They're very engaging, but they're not teaching biblical truth, and so they are false prophets, and that's false doctrine. 
We have to be mindful of that. And that's what he was warning about here. And that's what Jesus is warning about. So I gave you the commendation that he gave the church in Revelations 2, the first couple of verses there. Now, we go on down to verse 4, and Jesus said this. The commendation was, you're doing all this well. But then in verse 4, he said this. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. What was the first love? Well, that's why we, we held on to that verse of, of uh, Paul's in, first, in Ephesians 1, 115, where we looked at what was he said they did well. They had great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they loved each other. Love for all the saints. Love for all the saints, the Christians. Loving each other. Those were the things. When he says you've left your first love, it had to do with that just understanding that this is all about advancing God's plan, faith in Jesus Christ, and loving one another. And loving one another. And what Jesus is telling John to tell the church is, look, you've gotten away from that. You've gotten away from You've left your first love. You've left them. So it goes on to say beyond that, this is where, not a good part. This is what we're going to talk about some today. Therefore, remember where you've fallen, from where you've fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first. And I'll say the or else till we get to that point, okay? So the, the left the first love was these things about just losing their passionate love and faith in Christ and maybe waning in that sometimes. Again, they were baby Christians at best and, and those that weren't still influenced. It's easy to be influenced by um, evil spirits, demonic spirits, uh, people who are false prophets, false teachers. It really is. And they know that. And Satan, again, has power and dominion over this earth, over this world. And the only strength we have against that's Holy Spirit power in us. And so if we're weak there, if we're not in the word, praying and, and growing in the spirit, we're susceptible. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We're susceptible to those kinds of things coming in our lives. You see people walk away from the church all the time. They've been Christians or said they were Christians for many, many years. And you wonder, how can that happen? How can this pastor leave the church, just quit and say, I'm fed up. It really wasn't real. And I, I give up or I'm tired. It happens all the time. Those statistics are even more alarming than some of the ones on the decline of the church. And that, again, is a contributing factor to the decline of the church. So that's what we talked about the last two weeks. Now, the second part of that was the faith in Jesus Christ. And the second part of that left your first love was that you've lost your love for one another. You've lost that love for one another. And, and many of the commentaries that you read and study will talk about that being the real key I think it's both of them. I think it ties into verse 15 in Ephesians 1.15, and it's both of these things. But here's what's interesting about the um, love one another piece. There are 11 verses in the Bible, 11 verses that love one another appears 11 times. It, actually, it'd be 11 times, not 11 verses, because as I'm going to read you here in Jesus' words, sometimes that uh, that same uh, that same phrase appears more than once in the same verse. And here's a great example. So Jesus said this, teaching his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment. <clears throat> I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He said it twice there in that same sentence. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Isn't that amazing? Three times in two sentences, Jesus said, love one another. 
every time that phrase says love one another, it is talking about Christian to Christian. Understand, as I've said before, that most of the New Testament, you could probably argue all of it, but certainly all the letters, everything beyond the Gospels, all the letters, all the other books are written to Christians and the church. It's not written to lost people. It's not. It's written to try to exhort or call out or encourage or warn, as we're doing here, all these things that look, this is what looks like Jesus Christ and what his church ought to look like. And this is not. And here's what you're doing right, like Jesus said. And here's what you're really messing up. And so all of these things, when you look at all of Paul's letters and John's letters and Peter's letters and all the writings, they are all to the church to try to help instruct and encourage and equip, but also warn and admonish and, and discipline at times. That's what the New Testament is, by and large. And so the love one another has nothing to do with loving someone who's lost. It does not. Isn't that interesting? It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't say love everyone. I'm going to come back to that. I'm not going to leave you hanging out there because some of you are going, what do you mean? Are you kidding me? You mean I'm just supposed to love other Christians? It starts there. It's interesting. It starts there. And it's said 11 times. Why? Because if we can't love one another within the church, and I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, not necessarily building the building, but if you broke it down to denomination, denomination, or building the building within denomination, even then you see people don't love one another. There's squabbles and splits in an individual local church over in this corner over here. There's this denomination splitting right now, and they're going this way, and some going that way because of different doctrinal beliefs, or, or some think that this is heresy and this is not. There's all kinds of reasons it splits throughout church history for hundreds and hundreds of years that have caused these divisions. That's why there are denominations. There were no denominations in the early church, right? There was barely a church. So the love one another admonitions 11 times, 11 times in the New Testament, Jesus used three of them right here in these two verses in John 13, 34 and 35. He said, the world will only know that you're my disciples, that you're really believers, followers of Christ, if you love one another. If we hate on each other, if we're sniping at each other, if we're always talking badly about one another and speaking ill of the church, and by that I mean really the people in the church, here's what John had to say about that. And you know, I did that series last summer on just 1 John. It's one of his three epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. But in that little book of 1 John, five chapters, and I, I really encourage you to go back and watch those videos or read the blog or listen to the podcast on all five of those messages. It's powerful stuff because what we learn is that John does not mince words. You know, he's known as the love apostle. Well, the love that, that he's called, I mean, that people don't think about it the way it's biblical love. Biblical love is tough love. Biblical love is not this, oh, gosh, come on, let's be warm and fuzzy and sing kumbaya and all that. That is nothing like biblical love, not at all. And so in 1 John 4, 20, this is what John said that echoes exactly the words of Jesus. And when you read the epistle of 1 John, that letter, most of it is just restating what Jesus said. Why? Because John was the closest to Jesus. Remember, he was the one laying with his head on Jesus' chest during the, Lord's, during the Last Supper. All that time, closest to him, he's the one that Jesus said, go take care of my mother. When you give your mother away to your best friend, that's your best friend. John was the guy, the love apostle. But here's what he said in 1 John 4, 20. 
If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. <laughs> that's pretty strong. He's a liar. That's not as strong as it gets. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. If I can't love you or someone else in the church that I can't get along with or don't, and I'm, I'm angry, I really dislike that person. And there are people, by the way, that fit that mold for me. And I'm quite sure, I'm quite sure that I fit that mold for some of them. We have our differences. But we've got to be able to get through those differences and recognize that there's a love, there's a Jesus kind of a love for one another. It starts with one another. It starts with one another. Because what John said, look, if you don't love one another, how in the world do you say that the love of God is in you, that you're a Christian? I mean, he calls it out. That book of First John, as I taught you last summer, he says, look, you're either a son of God, born again in Christ, or you're a son of the devil. Just it's everything in John, everything with John was black and white, digital, on, off, zero, one. There is no in between. He taught just like Jesus did, just like Peter did, just like Paul did. You're not sort of saved. There's a lot of cultural Christians that they think they're sort of saved or they're saved enough, and they're not. That's why I keep warning in you and, and admonishing you and, and encouraging you and exhorting you, as Paul did, to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. That's in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Why? Because as I was studying these things over the last couple of years, it became so clear to me that in the church and some churches as a whole, they're, they're so lost, yet they think they are saved. They think they're in Christ and they're not. They're outside the faith, even though they think they're inside the faith, because of some of the things he's talking about here. Other things are just doctrinal heresies and things like that. But Jesus said, and John backed up, saying, look, it starts right here in the church. If you don't love one another, if you can't love each other, how can you say you love God? You've seen these friends and family or other people. You've seen them. <laughs> you haven't seen God. You claim to love God. You've never seen God. We haven't. We haven't even seen Jesus. We, we didn't, weren't alive then. We haven't seen the Holy Spirit. He's spirit. How do you say you love God, love Jesus, born again in Christ, and hate people? You can't. During the election time, I talked about that. I'm not going to go back there again, but it's again, you can't hate people and be born again in Christ. You cannot. It, the Bible teaches absolutely against that. I don't care who it is, what political persuasion, if you are a hater, you are not a Christian. You say, that's awfully strong. I didn't say it. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm saying Jesus said it. John said these people all repeated it, reinforced it. It is the truth of the word of God. And so we have to examine our hearts to see where am I in that? I mean, and, and hate's a strong word. But he's just saying you need to love one another. And that's that, that part that you've left that first love. You've left it. And part of that was you don't love one another. Eleven times in the New Testament, Three times in Jesus, one little or two little verses there. That's a strong admonition to us. It is a strong admonition. Now, let's keep going because then there's the or else part. <laughs> or else part. I'm reading now back in Revelation 2 5. This is now Jesus beginning to share with them the solution. He's told them the problem. And I'm quite sure they recognize the problem. And now he's telling them the solution. Okay, so that's the good news. That's the good news. He goes from, he commends them, condemns them, but then he tells them the solution. He's not leaving them hanging, not leaving them out there. He's not blowing them away and then walking off. Jesus didn't work that way. Didn't teach that way. 
So in Revelation 2.5, he goes on to say, Therefore, remember, excuse me, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. And do the deeds you did at first. Do what you were doing before. Or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. He says it again, repeats it, unless you repent. When things are repeated in a verse in the same sentence, that is a really strong indication. He's serious about that. He means that. So let's dissect this verse a little bit. Remember from where you've fallen. Go back to when things were really good, when the church was growing and the fellowship was great and you loved each other and you spoke well of each other and you did for each other. You served one another because that's evidence of love, right? You serve one another. You're, in, you're, you're uh, interested in the well-being of other people. The church at Antioch, which was a that great Christian church, first place that uh, people there were called Christians. It's an amazing church. And you need to read that. I mean, Acts. The early church, it's, it's what they did. Nobody said they owned anything. They brought what they had. If somebody had a need, they met that need. If they had more than they needed, they gave it away. You see, it's, it's a description of what a lot of churches have claimed in my lifetime. Oh, we want to be like that New Testament church or Antioch church. Well, that's easy to say. It's extremely difficult to do. It's extremely difficult to do. And most are not doing it. Not even coming close and some aren't even trying. They just don't even understand what it means. But what Jesus told John to tell the church at Ephesus, tell the elders, tell those people, listen, remember what you were doing before. Go back and do that. You know, sometimes we're having trouble in a relationship or like in a marriage. You know, it'll say, listen, go back and remember when you first fell in love, what that felt like, what that looked like, what you were doing for each other. And sometimes that's a great help and a reminder when marriage gets difficult or challenging or stale or all the things it can over a period of years. Marriage is hard. I've almost told guys when I'm teaching, look, I think marriage is God's hard assignment this side of heaven. I really do. It's difficult and it takes work and it takes commitment and it takes us loving one another. And that doesn't mean liking one another. I may have shared this with you before. <laughs> you, you can love someone and not like them. The liking thing is kind of an emotional thing that goes and ebbs and flows and whatever. There are times I didn't like my kids at all. There are times I don't like my wife at all. And, and perhaps there's even some that, that they felt that way about me. I'm not sure. but um, And I'd say that in total jest. But absolutely they did. But I always loved her. I always loved my wife. I always loved my kids. Even though, like me, they've done some stupid things. And I did stupid things. Well, I did some stupid things. My parents loved me. You see, there's a difference there. And so Jesus is reminding, look, just remember what it was you did before. Go back and think about those things when the fellowship was good and Jesus Christ was on the throne and, and you were more concerned about advancing his plan. We said, you know, by faith, that faith in Christ, go back to that part and repent of your sins for getting so far off track. I spend a lot of time in confession and repentance just because I need to, but also because Jesus commands us to do that. And that's the only way to restore fellowship with God. It is. It's the only way to restore broken fellowship. Sin breaks that fellowship with God. It doesn't cut the string. It doesn't mean we're no longer loved by God. He's always going to love us. But if you're born again in Christ, we have that relationship with God through Christ. We have to confess our sins. 
John said in the, the, one of the, the first chapter of this epistle I mentioned in 1 John 1, 9, many of you know that verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's that confession and repentance. David did it so beautifully in Psalm 51, that great psalm of repentance and brokenness, contrition over all the things he had done, all the sins with Bathsheba and Uriah and all the things, and then the baby dying. You see, confession and repentance is necessary to maintain a relationship with God. And so Jesus told him twice, repent, repent. Think about the sins you've committed. Think about what you've done to get away from where you were and repent of that. Now we know that the word repent means to turn and go the other way, to stop what you're doing and turn and walk away from it. Some will say turn and go the other way. It means to stop and go a different direction. That's what repent means. Get back on the right track. Go back to what you were doing before. Repent. And again, he said it twice. That's important. Now, the other piece we can take out of that, we're going to wrap up our time with this. He said, or else. <laughs> I don't want to hear an or else from Jesus. I can take an or else from most other people. Maybe my wife, Gigi, or someone else in you know, business that have or else. Because there's that kind of a threat behind there. Well, not kind of a threat. There's a threat behind that. Because on the other side of or else is usually something not good. And this is exactly what it is with Jesus. And he meant business. He wouldn't have said repent twice if he didn't mean business. wasn't serious about this. And the or else for them is, or else I will remove your, I'll come. I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your lampstand. What, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you a, uh, one more verse to consider. If you're in Revelation, within Revelation 2, turn the page. Actually, just look back on the other side of the page. And I want to give you the context here because, again, John's having this vision. But when he first gets in and sees it, he said, I turned and I see a voice speaking with me. And having turned, I saw, I'm in verse 12 here. I saw the seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. That's what Jesus called himself. This is Jesus, son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet girded across his chest with a golden sash. His hair and his head were white like wool, kind of like mine, huh? Probably nicer than mine and staying in place. Uh, white like wool, like snow. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. When it's been made to glow in a furnace, it's glowing bronze. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. That is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ in his glorified body in heaven. And this is what John is seeing. It's almost too magnificent to describe. You remember when he first saw him in the early verses in Revelation, he said, I saw him and I fell down as dead. I would. I get chills just reading this stuff. The description of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. What he looks like now, post-resurrection, post-ascension. He's appearing to John, his beloved disciple, the one he loved so much. And he's telling us, here's a warning. Go tell him these things. But where was he standing? When he saw him, where was he standing? He was standing in the middle of the lampstands. He was standing in the middle of the lampstands. What are the lampstands? There's seven of them. They represented the seven churches in Asia, probably that Paul had planted most all of them. I didn't go back and double check that, but I think it did as we keep setting those seven churches open up the book of Revelation. And Ephesus is the first one. They're in Asia Minor or Turkey. 
when he talks about removing your lampstand, Jesus is walking around amongst the, his churches, his churches, and he takes this church that's doing these foolish things, letting false teachers in, not teaching the word of God, not staying faithful to uh, lead people to Christ, not loving one another. He takes that lampstand and he says, fine, I'm done with this and I'm removing it. No more, it's gone. What does that mean, church? What does that mean, Christians? It's symbolic of this, that the presence of Jesus Christ is no longer with that church. It's no longer in it. That church ceased to exist. It ceases to exist. That was the warning. That was the warning. Now, let me tell you the sad end of this story, because this is not a happy ending. For years, and obviously they did some of this in terms of, of repenting and trying to get it back together, but they didn't stay there because the church at Ephesus disappeared. It went away. It's no longer there. John's writing at the end of the first century. Remember, I told you like 90, 95 AD. He's the last eyewitness. He's the only one left alive. Everyone else has gone on to be with the Lord. He's left behind. He's in his 90s. And he's seeing this vision and writing this and trying to you know, tell it to John to, uh, I mean, Jesus telling to John to go share these things, share with these churches to warn them. The other six have the same kind of things. Commendation, condemnation. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. But taking this lampstand out of the church of Ephesus means I'm not there anymore. It's not near me and I'm not with it. And the church of Ephesus disappeared. I did a lot of research on that, looking at that church finally just went away. There is no Christian church in Ephesus. There was no more Christian church in Ephesus over a period of time. It may have been a century or so sometime in that second century. But that's what happens when apostate people infiltrate the church. Well, that's what happens when the church stops loving one another and starts bickering and worrying more about their doctrine or this or that or who's going to be the elder deacon, all those kinds of things. Petty stuff. Jesus won't stand for that. And he calls us to repent. And if we don't repent, when he takes that lampstand away, the church is gone. The church cannot exist. The church is the body of Christ, the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit indwelling that church, that body of believers. And if Christ isn't there, his presence is gone. Like in the Old Testament, when the presence of God is gone, is gone. And, and Moses said, wait a second. If your presence doesn't go up with us, I'm not going. <laughs> don't send me on ahead without you. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. If you don't do these things, if you don't repent of your sins, start to love one another again, start to put that faith back in Christ and, and get out there and do what I told you to do. My mission, your mission, my love, your love. Lampstand's going away. I mean, the church is gone. It's interesting if you know history that um, Turkey, well, it wasn't Turkey for, you know, centuries and centuries, but Asia Minor, uh, in the 300s AD, uh, one of the emperors of Rome was an emperor called Constantine. And Constantine was a Christian. Constantine, believe it or not, after all that persecution and murdering of Christians and stuff, Constantine made Christianity the uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And he himself said to be a Christian. He also moved the capital from Rome to what became called Constantinople in Turkey, Asia Minor. And it was there. It was a magnificent city, one of the more magnificent cities in the world. And it stayed Constantinople for many, many years until Turkey became a, a nation or state. And it was changed to Istanbul. As we read the history on it, it had been referred to as Istanbul. It simply means the city. It was so magnificent and, and dominant in the region, people just said the city. 
like if you know people from New York in that area, when I used to work with people up there, they say, well, I'm going in the city. And if you say New York City, you would say the city, you know, you meant New York. Well, that's the same thing that Istanbul means in the language. And it just meant the city. It was so magnificent, so powerful, so dominant. But the Christian church went away. And now we know that Turkey, all those churches where the Christian church was founded, was started, it's all Muslim. It's all Muslim. Over the centuries, it went through the, you know, the Byzantine Empire and the Ottoman Empire and all these things in history. And it's all Muslim. There's no Christian church. That's what happens when Jesus takes the lampstand away. And so for us today, we need to pay attention to this. Because, no, we're not Ephesus. But we are a church that isn't loving one another well enough. Because that's where it starts. And we are to love everyone, by the way. I mentioned that before. I don't want to leave you thinking we only have to love each other. That's not true at all. We go from loving one another. See, if you start there, if you don't love one another, how you can love your neighbor? The Good Samaritan parable. Okay. Then Jesus gave us that terrible, awful command, love your enemies. If you don't love God, here's the sequence. And I, I drew up a little thing on this. I'll tell you this real briefly as we close. You love God first and foremost, first and best. You love yourself. I taught a couple of messages on that a few years ago to the guys at the mission and the women there and get men in prison that you have to love yourself. You got to go watch those videos. You have to love yourself. Every one of those things that you, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor is yourself. Your neighbor is yourself. You got to love yourself. You love the Lord God. You love this one another. We love ourselves. We love our enemies. We love our neighbors. We love everyone because God does. But it begins in the church with loving one another, loving one another. And so that's that's the key part of this message today. The lampstand goes away when we lose our passion, first and foremost, for Jesus Christ and his message and plan, his purpose, his coming, his calling, what he told us to do, and that we don't love one another. So I hope that's a great reminder and admonition to you because it was to them. Now, if someone is listening today, watching, reading, however you, whatever media you get this through, and you're wondering, what in the world am I talking about? And you think all this stuff is crazy, and you continue to reject the God of the Bible, or maybe you believe there's a God, most people do, but not the God of the Bible, and you certainly don't believe Jesus is the only way. How can that be? I, I don't know, except that he said he was. I gave you that verse in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. My, my call to you, as I do every time I speak, my call to you, my plea to you, is to not stop watching, reading, or listening today to this message until you come to grips with, you confront this God of the Bible. You confront this Jesus Christ who died for you, just like he did me. He died for the sins of the world that we could be redeemed and born again in him to restore our relationship to God. That's the only way you can get back to God. That's the only way your life's going to be made right. If your life is messed up or screwed up or bad things going on, listen, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean things are going to be perfect. But you have someone to go to. And, and as Christians, we have hope and peace and security, but it's eternal hope, peace, and security. It's not of the world. I can have great hope right now and be sitting in the corner over there bawling my eyes out about what's going on in the world. I can feel secure in my home and all of a sudden get places are insecure and things bad happen. That's world security. That's this kind of temporal stuff. 
the only real hope, the only eternal security that you can know that you're safe, know that God's got you, that no one can steal you from him, not ever, no matter what, is to come to Christ. And, and, the, and the great news about the good news is it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, where you are. It doesn't matter. He just loves you and is willing to forgive you. But it's like Jesus said in the church, forgiveness comes through repentance. Forgiveness is not automatic. Forgiveness comes when we confess, say, Lord, I've screwed this up. That's good. That's okay. Want to hear that? That's okay. He knows that, by the way. It's not a surprise. You didn't sneak up on him and say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. I had no idea Walter did that. You see, he's not surprised. He just wants you to come. He's begging you to come and just receive of that love like you never had before. It's a different kind of love. God loves everyone. This is a different kind of love. It's an eternal love, that secure love that, that keeps us there with him forever, born again in Jesus Christ. I pray, I pray, I pray that you will receive that today if you never have. Or you reach out to me, my website, my email there, Walter at OnlyJesus.Life, and I'll be praying for you, and I will respond. I absolutely will. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I just pray that it is taking root in the lives of Christians who understand that they need to look inside themselves first and foremost to see if they're loving one another. Then they need to look at their church and see if they're really carrying out what Jesus said. This is what the church looks like. This is what the church is supposed to do. That's the challenge for them, Lord, and then for those who do not know you, continue to reject you. Oh, God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit is breaking chains, breaking chains, setting free captives, setting them free from the bonds of Satan, demonic possession, all those things, alcohol, drugs, or just the sin of the world caught up in whatever, that those chains are falling off, falling down, and Jesus Christ is being received as Savior so we can make him Lord of our lives. For Christ's sake and Christ's sake alone, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.